The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, we're in our last sermon of Numbers chapter 16. It's verses 36 through 50 and this is entitled The Mediator Between God and Men. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel." So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, "'You have killed the people of the Lord.'" Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. Then he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague stopped. Israel was chosen from among the nations to be God's own special people and to receive his favor. All the other nations went their own way and they lived and died apart from God. Only Israel was set apart to bring in Messiah, and until he came, only they received the atonement necessary to cover their sins in a temporary manner. It has already been demonstrated that there was to be but one high priest, and until his death prevented him from going on, it was his responsibility to mediate between God and man and to intercede on behalf of the people. That was challenged by Korah, and the challenge failed, and it wasn't by human effort that it failed. It was because the Lord personally acted and destroyed him and his followers. It set the example for Israel, and Israel sets the typology for Christ to come. Because God rejected any but Aaron or his replacement from his line, then it is a message that the Lord was sending to us. I will accept my mediation for your sins, but I will only do so through one person, my designated high priest. That is then explicitly repeated in the New Testament, first by Jesus himself in John 14, verse 6, and then by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, our text verse of the day. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified to in due time. 
When Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, he was indicating exactly this. That means in this life and for all eternity, he is our access point to the unseen Father. At this time, it is for reconciliation to him and for our continued need for mediation from him. In the future, he will be the one through whom the glory of God will radiate for all of eternity. He is our one and only access point in this regard. When Paul says that Christ is our one mediator, he calls him the man, Christ Jesus. It is his humanity which makes this possible. And Paul goes on. He says that he gave himself a ransom for all. If you pay heed to the coming sermon, you will see that repeated in picture right here in our verses today. In fact, you will see the person of Christ revealed in almost a dozen different ways. But each one of them keeps demonstrating the simple truth that he is the one and only way to be restored to a propitious relationship with God. The theme repeats again and again as it has throughout the books of Moses so far and as will continue to be seen right through until the final page of scripture. So, if you're asking yourself today if it's okay for you to go to a palm reader or a psychic or a Hindu priest or a Buddhist shaman or an Islamic imam, you should understand that God, the God of the Bible, has rejected these things. This world, filled with such spirituality, is a world that is at enmity with God. He has entered into his creation, and it is through this man alone that we find restoration with God. Be careful who you believe, even in supposed Christian churches. There is a straight path, and there are many which quickly wind off to destruction. This is the warning that we should pay heed to. It is a lesson which is found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have two thoughts for you today. The first is a sign to Israel. It's verses 36 through 40. It was the final verses of our passage last week that the ground swallowed up the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, along with all those who dwelt there. After that, fire came out from the Lord at the sanctuary and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense there. The rebellion which had arisen against the Lord was ended by him in the destruction of the offenders. With that accomplished, the narrative continues on with the results of that event. The fire from the Lord has gone out in judgment, but judgment also results in purification. As this is so, something more is required before the matter is settled. Thus, verse 36, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The Lord now speaks to Moses directly. We can assume that it is from the pillar of cloud which had just sent out the fire against the rebels. Aaron and Moses had been present at the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, but now they have returned to the area of the sanctuary and have seen the destruction wrought by the Lord. A cleanup of the bodies and articles is needed to cleanse the camp. But the Lord has specific directions for some of what is laid scattered upon the ground. Those instructions are next given. Verse 37, tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers. Whatever was left of the bodies of the men, if anything, nothing is said concerning their disposal. The matter is left unstated because it is irrelevant to the purposes of the Lord. The bodies would be unclean, and Eliezer could not touch them. Almost all commentators say that Aaron was not selected for this purpose because he might have become defiled by the corpses, and so Eliezer was chosen. That actually makes no sense. Eliezer is also a priest, and he would also become defiled. If any bodies laid there, which remains unstated, then he would just not be the one to assist in the disposal of them. Picking up censors was simply not a task which the high priest would be expected to accomplish. However, being a priest, it was incumbent on his son Eliezer to pick up the censors because they were holy. Verse 37 continues, Out of the blaze, miben ha out of the burning, it is the same word used to describe the burning of the Lord which came upon Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's two eldest. This doesn't mean that the burning was still hot. It is merely a description of what had occurred. There was a burning, and the censers were to be picked up out of it. Verse 37 going on, For they are holy. Out of the midst of whatever was left that was unclean, there was something that had been purified and even made holy. Holy. Although under different circumstances, the idea of what occurs in Numbers 31 
partially explains why this is so. Here's what it says. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water. Fire itself has a cleansing effect on metals. How much more when it is the fire of the Lord's judgment? And this then translates into what is said in the New Testament concerning purification. It says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." The fire of the Lord is one of judgment, but in judgment there is also purification of those things which can withstand the judgment. All that which is defiled will be burned up, but that which endures will be purified and made holy. Verse 37 continues, And scatter the fire some distance away. As noted in the previous sermon, the coals and incense were not that which was approved by the Lord for use in the sanctuary. The men brought fire, which was not first sanctified through the Lord, and they added incense, which was not approved for service of the Lord. Thus, these things failed to anticipate Christ in their makeup and were unacceptable to be offered to the Lord. Because of this, they were to be taken from the sanctuary and scattered out at a distance to indicate the rejection of the offerings of these wicked men who had not been consecrated to serve before the Lord and yet who arrogantly assumed that they could do so. They failed to see that everything associated with the tabernacle, even to the finest detail, wasn't simply for show, but it was given to prefigure the coming Messiah, his redemptive work, and our position in him because of what he has done. Unfortunately, the world at large, the Jews to this day, and a large swath of what is considered Christendom continues to fail to see this. Holiness does not come through dopish hats, solemn rituals, repetitive prayers, or showy offerings. Instead, holiness comes through Christ Jesus, and it is only reflected in his people when they conform to his standards as given in this dispensation known as grace. Being under grace does not negate the need to be holy. In fact, it highlights it, as Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. As we've already seen, those things which we do that are unholy will be burnt and we will suffer loss. Our position in Christ demands holiness no less than it was demanded under the law. In fact, it demands it even more so. Verse 38, I say that because you are, as it says there, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is dwelling in you. And therefore, if that's true, you should be more holy than anybody ever was in Israel. Verse 38, the censors of these men who sinned against their own souls. The Lord is as a husband to Israel, but he is also as a king to them. Thus, the proverb is fitting to what occurred here. It says in Proverbs 20, the wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. This is what happened to these men. They had sinned against their own souls and thus they died before the Lord. One cannot help but see the comparison here with these men to the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, which is recorded in Acts. They had sinned against their souls by lying to the Holy Spirit. And they both died before the Lord. The judgment upon these men and the judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira both serve a purpose, though. In the case of these men's censors, 
the Lord gives specific instructions. Verse 38 continues, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. Rather than an adjective and two nouns, the Hebrew has three nouns to describe what is made. The first is a unique word in scripture, rikua, or an expansion. It comes from the verb raka, which means to beat out or to spread out. And that in turn comes from a primitive root signifying to pound the earth as if a sign of passion. One can think of a person laying with his face to the ground in misery at the death of a brother, pounding the ground and wailing. The second noun is pachim, or plates. That comes from the verb pacha, meaning to ensnare. The third is the tsepui, or covering. It is a lot of detail to make a single point. And so the Lord must be asking us to consider the picture which is being made here. One can almost taste the idea in how each of us treats our own state before the Lord. We are sanctified as holy, but do we mourn over the things that we do which the Lord finds unacceptable and in which we are ensnared? Sin is like a trap set for us, and when we allow it to catch us, it is what defines us. It is like a covering which is then viewable to all. We will be presented before the Lord, but only so much as endures the fire of judgment will be brought forth. Are we beating the ground in passion over our misdeeds, honestly endeavoring to correct them? Or are we continuing to carry with us those things which the Lord finds impure and defiled? Only that which is purified and which remains will be put on display. For the ones whose life was defined more by sin than by holiness, there will not be much left after their judgment. This is the picture that we are being given right here. And thus the censors of these men were to be so on display as a covering for the altar. Verse 38, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy. This is all that is left of these men's time before the Lord. Nothing is said of bodies remaining, even if they did. The only thing left of them is a bit of brass, which they had carried with them. It is this and nothing else, which others will see in order to be reminded of them. And that only because the fire of the Lord had purified it. The connection to our lives in Christ is rather astonishing. These men's censors were not acceptable as censors, and so they were reformed according to the word of the Lord for a set purpose. Verse 38 continues, and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. The word is ot, a sign. A sign stands as representative of something else. This doesn't say a memorial as if they were to merely remember the occasion, but they were to look at it as representative of what happened. That word, zikaron, or memorial, is coming in verse 40. But now we are told that it is to be a sign. As a sign, it thus conveys a message. That message is implicitly conveyed in the next words, verse 39. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers. Censers are mentioned ten times in this chapter. Eight of those times it is referring to the 250 censers. However, only once are they described as nechoshet, or bronze. In the Bible, bronze mainly signifies judgment, but also endurance. The judgment can be negative, such as in the case of bronze fetters being worn by those who have been sentenced for a crime, but it can also be one of purification and justification, such as in the cleansing of people through offerings made on that altar, the bronze altar. These censors are first described here in this verse as a sign. They are to alert the people to God's judgment. It will be carried out in the people for offense, or it will be carried out on this altar in place of their offense. It is also a sign to alert the people to their need for endurance in staying the course set out for them in the law, which is highlighted through this sacrificial system. The sign of judgment and endurance is to be remembered in these censers. Verse 39 going on, which those who were burned up had presented. The sign is the brass in the form in which it is presented. It is an expansion of brass as a sign of pounding the earth in passion. It is a plate of brass as a sign that man is easily ensnared in sin. And it is a sign in the covering of brass which tells man that his walk before the Lord is covered in his judgment, be it positive or be it negative. All of this is reflected in the next words, once again, verse 39 going on, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar. There was in the fabrication of this covering a purposeful, 
passionate and intentional hammering of the bronze. It was then placed as a covering on the altar, which was already overlaid with bronze. It is the brazen altar, not the golden altar, meaning the altar of incense, to which this is applied. The golden altar standing in the holy place would not be seen by the people. However, the brazen altar would be. And so it was covered by this magnificent sign to the people and, verse 40, to be a memorial to the children of Israel. Here the word zikaron or memorial is used. The brass is a sign, but it is to be a memorial. This is something which brings to remembrance. And that which is to be called to memory is, verse 40 going on, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord. Korah was a Levite, but he was not a priest because he did not descend from Aaron. That was made explicit in the law, and yet he presumptuously came forward along with the other rebels and tried to usurp the priesthood. The sign of the bronze covering was to be used as a memorial to bring to mind the consequences of violating the law of the priesthood. This was so, verse 40 continues, that he might not become like Korah and his companions. In the Hebrew, there is the understanding in an absolute sense that if someone were to do what Korah did, they would share in the same fate as befell him and his companions. Now, some might argue that this is not the case, though. King Uzziah did exactly this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and there it said that leprosy broke out on his forehead. How can that be compared to Korah? It is because it goes on to say that King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Having leprosy meant that King Uzziah was as if dead to the throne, to the people, and to the house of the Lord. In fact, the account then says that his son Jotham was over the king's house, and it was he who judged the people of the land. Other than physical death, the same outcome rested on Uzziah as on these rebels. And it may be considered that Uzziah's punishment was worse than that of Korah in one way, incomparable in another. He was trapped in a body of death while still living, whereas Korah was trapped in a living body in death, having been swallowed up alive by the pit. Uzziah failed to heed the warning, and he, in fact, became like those who offended the Lord in this way before him. Verse 40 continues, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. This is the word of law. It was Aaron and those who issued from him who served as priests that were authorized to offer incense before the Lord. Korah knew the law. Korah violated the law. The Lord determined the sentence and the judgment of the Lord was rendered upon Korah. I will dwell in them even as their breath of life and walk among them so I shall do. I will be their God between us no strife and they shall be my people to them I will be true. Therefore come out from among them I say and be separate says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean from it turn away and I will receive you according to my word. I will be a father to you and you my children. Yes you shall be my sons and daughters it is true says the Lord Almighty. And so I say again, come out from among them, so you shall do. Our second thought today is the very next day. It's verses 41 through 50. Verse 41, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. It wasn't weeks or months later, but the very next day that the entire congregation complained against Moses and Aaron, the word translated as complained here is the word loon. It means to remain overnight, such as in a lodging. The idea is that their minds remain unconverted by what had happened, and thus they simply continued down the same path, grumbling against Moses and Aaron. In this, they go even further by accusing them of killing the people of the Lord. Because the 250 men were leaders of the congregation, it was as if they represented all of the people even though Moses and Aaron had specifically prayed that the whole congregation not be destroyed. All they could see was that it was Moses who told the people to bring their incense before the Lord, and thus they have deduced that it was Moses' fault that they died. And it is true that Moses, believing the words of the law, knew the assured outcome, but this does not mean that he was responsible for their actions any more than he was responsible for King Uzziah's many centuries later. The people wrongfully accused Moses and Aaron of murder, but once again, an attack against them for something that the Lord did is actually an attack against the Lord. This cannot go well for the people. Verse 42, 
Now it happened, when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. There was enough force behind the moaning that the people came in a united way against Moses and Aaron, probably to the tents which stood just before the entrance to the sanctuary. While standing there accusing them, they turned to see some aspect change in the cloud. It always remained above the tent of meeting, but what probably happened is that it completely enshrouded it. In doing so, the glory of the Lord, which was between the cherubim above the mercy seat, radiated out through the cloud, just as it did on the day when the tabernacle was first raised up. The cloud then, at the same time, revealed, and it also concealed the Lord's glory. Verse 43, Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, here it says they came el pene o hel moed, or to the face of the tent of meeting. This is explained in verse 50 as being at its door. As the glory of the Lord radiated out of it, they could not enter, just as they could not on the first day that it was erected. Instead, it is at the door of the tent where they received the word. Verse 44, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, It is obvious that the presence of the Lord in this manner was a summons to come to him and to receive instruction from him. It was also obvious, based on past experience, that this could only mean disaster for those who had challenged them. And so it is. Verse 45, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Here is a word not yet seen in Scripture, Ramam. It means to rise up above or even to exalt the words of this clause are identical to the words of verse 21, with one exception. In verse 21, they were told to badal, or separate themselves from the congregation. Now they are told to ramam, or rise up from the congregation. The intent of the change seems obvious. They were wallowing with those who were beneath them in dignity. The Lord is indicating that they are not just miscreants who should be separated from and then destroyed but they are lowly refuse who should be risen above and destroyed. And so the Lord says to them, Hey, Romu mitok hazot, you get up from this congregation. Verse 45 continues, and they fell on their faces. It is the same reaction from them that was seen in verse 22. A second time, the mediators of the Lord had been rejected by the people, and a second time, they again refused the admonition to remove themselves from them but instead immediately move to mediate on their behalf. The immense love of Moses and Aaron for the people is seen in their continued care of them, despite their ill treatment from them. Verse 46, so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation. Korah felt that he was deemed holy to the point that he could perform the duties of the priests. It was his violation of the law of presenting incense before the Lord, which proved that this was not so. However, the people have rejected that, and thus they have rejected the Lord's decision concerning Aaron's priesthood. That means that they stand right now as a people without a mediator. Aaron must rectify this by responding as their mediator and making atonement for them. The way he is to do this is by taking ha-machta, or the censer. It is not just any censer, but Aaron's censer, used for high priestly duties, which is now set in contrast to the 250 censers of rebellion. Machta, as I've said for three weeks now, comes from a root meaning destruction or ruin. Thus, ha-machta, picturing the sole mediation of Christ, is to be used in the sense of removal. Into that, he was to put fire. This would be from the brazen altar, the fire first lit by the Lord, and which signifies Christ's fire of purification. On that, he was to put ketoret, or incense. The priestly incense was described in Exodus 30, every single ingredient of which, if you remember, pointed to Christ in his work, as is later revealed in Scripture. It truly was an astonishing study. Verse 46 continues, and make atonement for them. Atonement is normally made through a blood sacrifice, but the idea here is that in the burning of the incense upon the holy fire, there would be removal and purification. As incense pictures prayer, it is thus picturing the prayers of Christ, the man, on behalf of his people, and the purification of the people by God through Christ. 
As the ingredients of the incense picture him, they are considered a sufficient offering of his life to God. If Aaron were to not make this offering, all of the congregation would be lost. Moses knows this, and he proclaims, verse 46 continues, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The word ketseph, or wrath, has only been used in Numbers 1, verse 53. You wonder why we read the book of Numbers? It's because these things are very important in understanding what's going on. Here it says in Numbers 153, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath, ketseph, on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Korah, who did he belong to? What tribe? Levi, that's right. That charge of the tabernacle by the Levites failed. Korah was a Levite, and he failed to adhere to his assigned duties. The people, in turn, rejected the Lord's rejection of this. Thus, Haketzeph, or the wrath which was promised, had gone out. And because of this, verse 46 continues, the plague has begun. The word negef, or plague, is only used seven times in the Bible, and all are in relation to the people of Israel. The first was in relation to the blood of the Passover lamb saving the firstborn. The second was in relation to the redemption money for the firstborn. The third was used in relation to the Levites in place of the firstborn. That was seen in Numbers 8. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague, no negef among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. The Levites had replaced the firstborn and were considered purified for the tasks of service. If the people approached unlawfully or incorrectly, the plague would result. That's what we were just told. It was the Levites who had the responsibility to ensure that this would not occur. And yet, it was Korah, a Levite, who had violated this. He received his penalty for what he did, but the people have claimed that what happened to him was unjust. Therefore, they are now considered to have approached the Lord unlawfully. Thus, Moses knows the plague must come. And this is the entire congregation of Israel. It's not a few people close by. The entire congregation has approached unlawfully. The final time Negev is used is in Isaiah chapter 8, where it is ascribed directly to the Lord in relation to the people of Israel. Here's what it says. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stumbling and a rock of offense. The word stumbling there is that Negev to both houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That verse from Isaiah is then used by Paul when speaking of Christ in Romans chapter 9 and by Peter also speaking of Christ in 1 Peter 2. In essence, Christ became the very plague upon Israel that the blood of the lamb, the ransom money, and the Levite was to protect them from. In their rejection of him, they rejected what these types and shadows only pictured. He is the Passover, he is the ransom payment, and he is the firstborn. Israel's rejection of these figures equates directly to Israel's later rejection of Jesus Christ. Thus, he is Ha-Negef, or the plague. Ha-Negef is the plague. Unless Christ personally mediated for them in prayer, which he did on Calvary's cross, they would have been utterly consumed. However, in their rejection of him, they have suffered the plague, meaning Christ, these past 2,000 years. He has become Hanagef upon them, just as the plague came upon the congregation. Verse 47, then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. In rejection of the Levitical priesthood, meaning Aaron, and then the Levites below him, fulfilling the place of the firstborn, they had rejected what these types pictured. Christ's more perfect priesthood, which is found in Hebrews 2.17, and his standing as the firstborn of God, which is found in Hebrews 1 verse 6. In picture, it is Israel's ongoing rejection of him. The plague began, but Aaron ran into the midst of the assembly to stop it before it could totally consume them. Verse 47 continues, So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. 
The offering of incense in this manner is never prescribed under the law. But Moses knew that even though the law did not prescribe it, it also was not prohibited either. In the case of the plague, it was the only possible expediency to make atonement. And in fact, it is this act which pictures what it says in Hebrews chapter 7 about Jesus, that Christ always lives to make intercession for his people. The incense picturing Christ and his redemptive work is sufficient for the purpose. That should give every one of us here great comfort, knowing that he is always living to make intercession for his people. Verse 48, and he stood between the dead and the living. These words are set in contrast to the 250 who offered their incense and were struck dead for their actions. The offering of Aaron is accepted because he was the qualified representative with the proper censer, the proper coals, and the proper incense. Christ stands even now between the dead and the living for his people. This, however, brings forward the concept of Christ as displayed through the apostles in a remarkable way. The message of the apostles, meaning Christ's person and ministry, is that which brings life. Further, a rejection of it brings death. Aaron stood between the living and the dead, bearing his incense. And this then appears to be what Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God, here it is, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For Israel of today, it is the aroma of Korah and of death leading to death. However, someday the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ will be realized for them in life leading to life. Verse 48 continues, so the plague was stopped. The word for plague here, and in the next two verses, is not the same as the previous two. This is magepha. It's a slaughter. In the act of providing atonement, the slaughter of the people ended. The idea here is beautifully stated by Matthew Henry. Observe especially that Aaron was a type of Christ. There is an infection of sin in the world which only the cross and intercession of Jesus Christ can stay and remove. He enters the defiled and dying camp. He stands between the dead and the living, between the eternal judge and the souls under condemnation. We must have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins. We admire the ready devotion of Aaron, Shall we not bless and praise the unspeakable grace and love which filled the Savior's heart when he placed himself in our stead and bought us with his life? Greatly indeed hath God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 49, now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. And the specific number here is an interesting addition. The speculation on what its spiritual significance is could probably go on and on. Suffice it to say that seven is the number of spiritual perfection. The number here is a multiple of seven times 2,100 or seven times seven times 300. Along with those who died in the Korah incident, you would be up to somewhere around 15,000 people. This shows that a large number died in the wilderness due to the arrogance and the folly of one main perpetrator and a few followers with him who were then excited into a larger crowd of miscreants. From there, the entire congregation was set to be destroyed. Jude specifically warns about false teachers and that those who hear the word should earnestly contend for the faith which has been once delivered to the saints. The consequences for failing to do so can lead to a huge number being misled and ultimately destroyed. Such is the case with those who follow Ellen G. White. Does anybody know who she is? Seventh-day Adventists. Or Charles Taz Russell. Anybody know him? The Jehovah's Witnesses. Or Joseph Smith. The Mormons. One man. And all of those people are condemned because of it. Countless others who have come in and drawn away large numbers who now face the consequences for following in their footsteps. The mediation of Aaron was successful, the plague was stopped, and with it, 
It says, verse 50 finishes, so Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. It seems like an anticlimactic ending for such a marvelous chapter, but it really isn't. Aaron is a type of Christ, the high priest. Moses is typical of Christ, the lawgiver. The tent of meeting pictures Christ's humanity, which covers his deity inside. The door is actually twofold. When an animal is said to be presented at the door of the tent of meeting, it is actually presented at the brazen altar, which prefigures Christ's sacrifice, his cross. It is that which symbolically then allows access through the door of the tent itself. Thus, we have a picture which is developed here with this final verse. At one point is the high priest, the lawgiver, the sacrifice, and the door to God's paradise. All of that is seen in the person of Jesus. It is he who has stopped the plague upon fallen man, and it is he who will stop that plague which still comes and destroys Israel. The slaughter continues, but someday he will stand in their midst, and his offering will be the dividing line between the dead and the living. For them, it will finally be the diffusing of the fragrance of life, capital L, leading to life. May that day be soon. Everybody got the picture there? It's Jesus. The entire passage. We read these things and we think, what is this saying? You know, why does the Lord keep repeating things? And we find out one word doesn't match the word up in verse 21. And there's a difference why. And we see all of these things and they're all given to us for one specific reason. is to keep us going towards Jesus. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what the Bible asks us to do. It's because he is the only mediator. You know, we've got, and I try not to be too hard on him, but it's hard to not be. It's the Roman Catholic Church. They use Peter and the saints and Mary as mediators, and that's in complete violation of Scripture. It's not authorized, and it's being pictured right here. The fragrance of death leading to death. Unless you come solely through Jesus Christ, you are not coming to God. It's not going to happen. And before you come to God in prayer, you have to come through Jesus Christ in salvation. And so I would ask you today that if you have not come to God through Jesus Christ to do so, all you need to do is say, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that he died for my sins. He went into the grave and he came out. I believe that with all of my heart and you will be saved. That is it. That's what the Bible asks of you in the book of Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 we read earlier, for if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel message. There is one gospel message. There are not two or three. I'm going to do a talk on that pretty soon so that everybody understands that because in Christian circles, there are people that believe that there are actually two separate gospels. There's one gospel for all people, Jew and Gentile, all people. Please come to Jesus Christ, be saved, and then learn this wonderful word which tells you how to live rightly. Here we go, closing verse. But now he, capital H, Jesus, he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. We have the Mosaic covenant. Christ is much better, better promises. Eternal life instead of he who does the things of the law will live by them. It's he who believes that Jesus did the things of the law will live by them. Next week is number 17. Oh, is this a great passage? I feel like reading you the verses right now. 17, one, you want to read them? Let's read them. 1 through 13, filled again with life's breath. It's entitled Life from Death. That'll be our 33rd number sermon. Let's read these. I've never done this before, but it's such an exciting passage. And the Lord spoke to Moses say, uh, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. All the leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. Imagine that, a dead piece of wood. The Lord's going to make blossom. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of the leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, 12 rods, lost my place here, 12 rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. 
and Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? What a passage. And then guess what I typed this past week? The bronze serpent. Oh, I'm melting at the pictures of Christ. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise, and so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Here we go. In verse 42, it said that the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. Where is that pictured and revealed in the New Testament? Yes, you got it. Let's read it. It's in all three synoptic gospels. There we go. Let's read that. We're going to go to Luke chapter 9. You got it. You got a Maserati. You go home and you tell your wife, baby, I got something for you. Luke chapter 9. Let's see if we can find that. I'm just picking Luke. He wrote to the sons of Japheth. I'm a son of Japheth. I always pick him when I try to quote something from the Synoptic Gospels. Here's what it says. Um, verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And he prayed. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, the glory coming out, right? And the two men who stood with him, then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. Got a poem for you. It's called The Mediator Between God and Men. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying these words he was to them then relaying. Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, as I now say, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, as to you I now tell, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel, and this is what it represented. That no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses, according to that word. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel, that great horde, came against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron towards Mayhem, they seemed geared, that they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment, as to you I am now relaying. Then they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire in it from the altar. 
put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. In this you must not falter. The wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun, that great and terrible sword. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. There he went. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and for the people he made atonement. Then he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. That's how many of them dropped. Besides those who died in the Korah incident, so Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. It had ceased and the plague was no more. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this really most sobering of lessons that we have heard today. Thank you for the detail which you have put in your word, which gives us no doubt about the things that we must know and that we are to act in a holy manner before you and to not trample on the Passover or on the ransom money or the firstborn, all picturing Christ, but we are to be in obedience to you through him and what those things pictured in him. Lord, help us to carry Christ, our Passover lamb, with us always, and to know that we have been ransomed by you because of him, and help us to remember that he is the firstborn among many brethren, and we are included that in that when we put our simple faith and trust in him. Thank you for that easy message of salvation, and Lord, I would pray that people would take the pride away from their lives, the most difficult thing in the world, and then they would be able to traverse that very easy step. Lord, Help them to do it and help us to be responsible in telling others about that message. May you be praised in all ways and may you be glorified in our lives. And may it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Marvelous, isn't it? It is. I used to cringe when I get to Numbers no. and Leviticus. And yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be kind of honest with you. I loved Leviticus from the first time I read it. And I remember you telling me that. But I cringed at Numbers. I would read it, and I, what are you telling us, Lord? And every week is a great adventure for me. I, I sit there, and there are times, I, I said during the uh, sermon typing on Monday, the bronze serpent, I kept saying it out loud. I couldn't think of any other words to, to describe it, but your word is alive. I kept saying it out loud, like through the whole sermon. Your word is alive, and that's what it says about it in the Bible, but it, it, it just, I couldn't stop. It's alive. It comes out in a way that is astonishing. My hair is standing up all over my body. It's such a beautiful word. I, I don't know how people can sit in churches and say, well, I don't need to know the Bible. Once you start getting into it, it's the only thing that makes any sense. It, it's the only thing that makes any sense.